brothers and sisters. I ended yesterday by saying that we need to pay attention when, when the Lord canonizes a saint through his church, when he raises up a saint for us to, to look at, to listen to their life, to listen to their words, to, to pay attention to the charism that they carry. We need to pay attention, especially when it's a bishop. In a sense that a bishop's role is very prophetic. It, 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 it's to really preach the gospel. The priests and all the people really share in the preaching of the gospel around their local bishop. This is how it happened in the early church, from the apostles and the people gathered around them. And so here we have a bishop who was elevated by God, to whose devotion to the Eucharist was so intense and, and so real that we need to listen. We need to, to, to listen to his witness. Our saint, Saint Manuel, he was born in 1877 on February 25th in Seville in Spain. And he, he grew up there at the age of 10. He wanted to enter a seminary, minor seminary. In those days, people could enter the seminary quite young and train. They would still go to school as normal and have normal education, but there would be an emphasis towards priesthood, preparing them for, by helping them to grow in the virtues necessary for priesthood and for Christian life. And uh, and so he applied without telling his parents. He was 10 years old and, and later on he got accepted. And so eventually, much later on, he would even end up um, getting a doctorate in theology and in canon law. And in 1902, by uh, Cardinal Spinola, who also became canonized later on, he became ordained a priest. And he was sent by by this cardinal to this really remote parish in Spain, Palomares del Rio, and it was there that he really on entrance to this church is where he discovered his whole vocation within his vocation as a priest. So the unique call or preaching mission he would have or the, just the unique charism God was given to him. And on the way there, he was being carried by this man who was bringing him to the parish and they were traveling by donkey. And he, he just noticed that the atmosphere on the way there wasn't what it seems to be when he was drawing near to the church. Normally there would be, when there would be a new parish priest coming in these times, there would be like a festival. There would be like lines of people out and children and, and to welcome the priest to the parish. And, and not so much because of him, because he's just a simple man, but it was a real deep sense for these people that they knew that it wasn't just a priest coming, it was Christ coming. That, that, that the priest would bring them Jesus Christ in, in the Mass and in the sacraments. That the tr priest would allow them to have this unique count in contact with Christ. And so there was no one. He got into the church and when he got into the church, he was shocked. It was abandoned, basically. He said it was in, it was in disarray, it was dirty. There was linen, the, the, the linens on the altar were black and tarnished. It, it, they were, it was just soiled. There was the, the sanctuary lamp was leaking. He got to the tabernacle and it was cobwebs. And, and so he, he, he felt totally a bit disillusioned or, or a bit, uh, you know, probably he had imagined all these people coming with great devotion and, and that, that it was going to be wonderful. And he found himself in an abandoned church. And he knelt down right before the, in front of the tabernacle, just praying to the Lord, praying for some kind of inspiration about how he was going to to be maybe a source of bringing life to this place. And here he encountered the most transformative moment of his life. And it was here that he, as he knelt down, he, he experienced the gaze of Jesus. He realized that there was someone there looking at him. And he writes, 
My faith was looking at Jesus through the door of that tabernacle, so silent, so patient, so good, gazing right back at me. His gaze was telling me much and asking me for more. It was a gaze in which all the sadness of the Gospels was reflected, the sadness of no room in the inn, the sadness of those words, do you also want to leave me? The sadness of poor Lazarus begging for crumbs from the rich man's table. The sadness of the betrayal of Judas, the denial of Peter, of the soldier's slap, of the spirit spittle in the praetorium and the abandonment of all. All of this sadness was there in that tabernacle, oppressing and crushing the sweet heart of Jesus, drawing bitter tears from his eyes. Blessed tears from those eyes. The gaze of Jesus in that tabernacle was a gaze that pierced the soul and one can never forget it. So it was this gaze that transformed him and that he would get this call to, to, not, to call people around tabernacles, not to abandon Jesus and to preach about Eucharistic adoration, that we have the Lord of all glory living in, in our midst. Where else will we want to go if we believe it? I was trying not to cry so as not to make Jesus even more sad. His gaze expressed the sorrow of one who loves. But who does not find anybody who wants to receive that love abandoned in this parish. For me, this turned out to be the starting point to see, understand and feel what would consume the whole of my priestly ministry. On that afternoon, in that moment in which I was before the tabernacle, I saw that my priesthood would consist of a work of which I had never before dreamt. All my illusions about the kind of priest I would be vanished. I found myself to be a priest in a town that didn't love Jesus and I would have to love him in the name of everybody in that town. I would dedicate my priesthood to taking care of Jesus and the needs of his life in the tabernacle, to feed him with my love, to keep him warm in my presence, to entertain him with my conversations.